Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. You're listening to Exegeting, uh, Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open with prayer. Avinu Malkeno, our Father, our King, Lord, we delight to know that you are a Father who listens to our prayers. You are uh, a Father who answers our prayers. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit to cause us to cry, Abba, Father, to um, bring us into fellowship with you, to continue to share uh, your truth with us so that we can know the way, so that we can know the good path to follow, so that we can be uh, filled with your Spirit and be be lights, uh, be salt, make a difference in this world. Lord, life isn't just about floating along and uh, hoping that things will uh, be made better. But in fact, we know that it's it's not really that way. You are in control, and so as we put our trust in you, we know that you will continue to uh, uh, lead us and guide us and direct us and protect us, uh, and indeed uh, give us uh, the words and the actions to do. So thank you, Father, for empowering us to live righteous lives, uh, and in fact, giving us the desire to do so. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to share once again with the students uh, in this book of Galatians. Again, I thank you for preserving the words and giving Paul a passion for writing. And uh, we know that the truths that Paul was sharing uh, 2,000 years ago are yet relevant for us today because in the body of Messiah we still have uh, many misunderstandings about our relationships with one another, Jew and Gentile, and our covenant responsibilities not only to one another but to your Torah. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us a desire to study and so that we can uh, uh, know what the words say. Uh, help me tonight to continue to um, share truth and to be clear and level-headed and to recall the things that I've studied this week. And I pray that you'll be with the students give them a supernatural ability to retain the things that are being spoken. In fact, Lord, making sure that they remember your words and your truths and the things that I say, if those are irrelevant, let those things fall off. So we will be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right, let's date stamp the recording again tonight. This is week 50. I want to say this is week 52. And it is January 21st, 2017. Uh, this is Exegeting Galatians. And my name is Ariel. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a Torah teacher out at Congregation Kehilat Tenuva in Thornton, Colorado. But I don't attend there these days. I moved off to South Korea three years ago. And so... Uh, uh, if you want to visit our congregation, you're certainly welcome to, but you won't find me there, even though I'm still a member. Instead, I come 
to you live each week via Skype, uh, internet, live internet teachings, and um, I'm delighted to do so, uh, even though you can't see my face. Reach me on the web at my website, www.tatesaytora.com, and uh, I've got links there pointing to the Galatians commentary as well as uh, Torah portion commentaries, uh, various messianic issues, things like that. For the Galatians notes, um, it's advisable for you to subscribe so that you will not miss the uh, weekly announcements and the weekly notes that I send out. Um, click on the commentary link and follow all the instructions. Just provide your name and your email and I'll send you the notes for free. Also, each week I record the live recordings that we um, talk about on Skype. If you can't make it out each week live, then perhaps maybe you can catch up with the uh, recordings that I produce. Give me a few days after we recorded them to edit and upload them to iTunes and to my website. And uh, you can follow the commentary that way. Love to have you join, though. Um, one last thing, uh, we like to engage in after-class chat, kind of Q&A, uh, 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 that type of thing after each class for about 45 minutes or so, so everyone's welcome to join, but you do have to attend the live Skype meeting because I do not record the um, after-chat, after-class sessions. It's exclusively for the live students, okay. All right, with that being said, those of you who are with me in the live class tonight, you should be able to see my screen. Let's jump over to some real quick liturgy. Uh, I'll try to make it shorter than usual. We're only going to read uh, five verses out of the book of Deuteronomy, the ones we've been borrowing for this section that we're in, and which means I, I think we'll be finished with the section tonight, which means we'll probably be able to switch liturgies next week. Deuteronomy 6, just verse 20 through 25 out of the ESV. That's what I've been reading lately. Um, when your son asks you in time to come, Moshe says, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules of the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God our, for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And verse 25 is the kicker, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us, end quote. All right, um, don't have to really explain why I've been reading those verses. Just go back and listen to some of the previous commentaries and you'll get my understanding. Let's read the um, Hebrew of the same passage. Uh, let's see. Let's pull down the... Oh, what do we want to use? Uh, the Aleppo Codex? No. Hang on a second. Let's just go like interlinear. And we'll go like this. This way everybody can see the Hebrew and the... And the uh, the English that follows along. For those who can't read Hebrew, you're welcome to follow along in the uh, English. Got the, uh, an interlinear pulled up. For those of you who are on the screen, you can read it that way. We'll start with the Hebrew here. Ki yishal chavin ha-machar lemor ma ha-idod v'ha-huchim v'ha-mishpatim atcher tziva Adonai Elokeinu etchem v'amarata lavin ha-avinu hayinu lefaro b'mitzrayim Adonai Mimitraim Biyad Hazakha. 
ויתן אדוני אותות ומופתים גדולים ורעים במצרים בפרלו וכל ביתו לעינינו. ואותנו הוציא משם למען חווי אותנו לתת לנו את הארץ אשר נשבע לאבותינו. ויצווינו אדוני לעשות את כל החוקים האלה ליראה את אדוני אלוהינו לטוב לנו כל הימים לחיינו כהיום הזה. And the final verse, וצדקה תהיה לנו כי נשמור לעשות את כל המצווה הזאת לפני אדוני אלוהינו כאשר ציוונו. Now let's jump over to Uh, just a few verses out of the Apostolic Scriptures, a.k.a. the New Testament. Book of Galatians, chapter 2, final few verses of the chapter, which we're going to study tonight. Starting back a few verses, I'll start again with verse uh, 19, which reads, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then the last verse, which is the one we're going to focus on tonight. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. All right, so it seems like we've got a challenge here with what Moshe just said. Let's go back and read the uh, Greek of that. Let's see, starting in verse 19, uh, the Greek reads, Ego gardia namu namo. Apethanon hina theozeso. Christo sunestauromai zo de ukete egoze de in emoi Christos, ho de nunzo in sarki en piste zo te tuhuiu tu theu tu akabasantas, me kai paradantas huitan huper emu. And the final verse uk atheto. Ten karn tu theu e gardianamu dikeusune ara Christas durian apethanen. Okay, let's study verse 21. We were really in the middle of verse 21 by way of my commentary. We're on the top, I'm sorry, we're near the bottom of page 100. And we're ready to start uh, looking at David Stern's uh, views of this verse. And so, um, the bottom of page 100, I, I, I'll, I'll just go back one paragraph to get the uh, running context. Um, with Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 in mind, I say in my commentary, some like to interpret this verse, which we just read, uh, uh, I do not nullify the grace of God, for righteousness comes to the law that Christ died for no, no purpose. Uh, this idea of, of righteousness coming from the law, uh, what does Paul mean by righteousness, and what does he mean by the law? Um, let's see what I had to say in my commentary. Um, some Christians like to interpret this verse as a generic teaching leveled against works righteousness, where mankind in general might be found trying to gain salvation, that is, forensic righteousness, by doing good works without the law necessarily even being in the picture, yet supposedly being singled out by Paul here in Galatians as a sort of supreme example of good works that a man could do. Right? In this way, I say that the verse would basically be saying, quote, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through doing good works, and Christ died for no purpose, end quote. And I have to recognize that the theology behind taking law here to mean good works in general would not be incorrect, viz. Good works do not secure salvation, right? 
if Paul were trying to warn anyone from trying to do good works in order to be saved, and if he were using the word law there as kind of a, a stand-in for, for merit theology, then Paul is teaching some accurate theology, right? His, his words are obviously true. You cannot work your way into heaven. God will not grant you salvation based on your good works. So I have to recognize the uh, the the uh, um, relevant application of such an uh, uh, such an interpretation of the verse, but I go on to say that I don't think that this would do justice to the historical and religious context of the section that was begun in, in uh, Galatians two fifteen, which, as I understand, is most definitely a carefully reasoned narrow argument aimed at Jews, the ones in, in the first century. And such Jews, uh, a, a Jewish relationship to not your average good works in general, but specifically to the works of the law as Jews by birth. So with that in mind, as everyone already knows that my view of works of the law in the first century was really a more carefully reasoned argument leveled against Jews who were trying to um, use this coin with two sides to to attract the righteousness of God. That is, one side of the coin was their ethnicity, and the other side was essentially what what Christians would call Torah obedience. But um, I like to call it maintenance of Torah rather than obedience of Torah. But really, it's the same concept. Rather, it was this idea that the Jewish people thought that they could maintain their membership in the covenant by um, keeping the Torah or by maintenancing their obedience or maintenancing their disobedience, however you want to describe it. Either way, I think the, the, the important point uh, that is um, relevant for us in our study of Galatians is that Torah obedience in the first century was couched within the Jewish self-understanding of already uh, being a covenant member based on their position as uh, Jewish people or their, their position as, as uh, ethnic Israel. So it's it's that's really the 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 the, the meat of, of my understanding of the book of Galatians and and much of this phrase law and works of law. But I don't discount the fact that Paul could have been speaking speaking to Galatians who might not have even even heard of have ever heard of works of law, and therefore Paul would have probably confused them by explaining this whole ethnic ethnic driven covenant membership thing to them. And instead, he simply would have just had to tell them, hey. Good works won't save you, and then that would have been a, a, a you know a pretty good application. So let's jump down to David Stern's uh, view of this verse and see if if we can get some mileage out of it. Top of page one hundred one, David Stern's complete Jewish Bible translates this verse right Galatians two twenty one as quote I do not reject God's gracious gift for if the way in which one attains righteousness is through legalism then the Messiah's death was pointless end quote. And, I have to say it like this, in my commentary I say, I actually believe the theology behind this translation is also accurate, right? Legalism is not the path to forensic righteousness. It, it simply becomes the student's uh, burden to define what David Stern means by the term legalism. You know, however you slice the verse, whether you just leave it in its original Greek where it says, if righteousness were through the law, the Greek word is namas, and you translate this word namas as either Torah proper, or you translate the word law as legalism, or you translate the law as works of law, as I'm trying to do. However you translate this word law in this verse um, is really uh, going to kind of give you uh, 
the expanded view of how you translate some of the rest of the book, particularly as we move into chapter three. And so I find that this is where we find a lot of uh, what we might find, what we might say is uh, uh, a lot of um, not confusion, but a lot of uh, difference in interpretation, which most of them actually amount to the same thing. No one can work their way into heaven. And so any really translation, uh, any translation of the word law there, as long as it agrees with the idea that, that there's only one path to righteousness, which is, of course, through trusting uh, in Messiah's faithfulness, through trusting in his sacrifice, through trusting in his blood, through trusting in his power, uh, then any other any other method that tries to secure God's righteousness, of course, is going to fail. And for that, every single Christian translation is right on the mark, as far as I know. So, let's keep going. So, with David Stern's uh, translation in view, where he translates the word law as legalism, um, he's right, the theology is right, it's accurate. However, I don't think that Paul's using Torah, law, Greek word namas, I don't think he's using it to refer to legalism in this manner. In other words, to be sure, if, and I talk about it this way, if sincere law-keeping will not result in salvation the position that historic Christianity takes, takes, how much less will legalistic law keeping result in salvation, right? Uh, we talked about this a little bit last week. The context of this verse, I think, was established in Galatians 2.15 with works of the law above, and I think it's going to be picked up again in Galatians 3, uh, verse 2, verse 5, and verse 10, where works of the law shows up again. So I think law here, and I say that I think law here in verse 20, verse 21, I'm sorry, is somehow related to works of law in Galatians as a whole. And I say that because I think that um, Galatians really has Paul leveling a lot of his of his um, correction against the Jewish misunderstanding of covenant membership as opposed to the your, your average Gentile understanding or misunderstanding of covenant membership and certainly today's average Christian understanding of covenant membership. You understand what I'm trying to say? So, that's why I think law and works of law are kind of working together quite a bit in the book of Galatians. So, let's keep reading and we'll see how that it's possible that there's, there's another uh, very strong uh, understanding of the word law as we move into uh, uh, chapter 3. And I have, to be, uh, uh, I have to allow for this other strong uh, possibility, uh, particularly because application-wise for the Gentiles... They may not have had any preoccupation. They may, at the farther you get away from Jerusalem in Paul's day, uh, the less preoccupied with Torah a person becomes. That includes the Jews, possibly, but certainly it would in- probably include the Gentiles, who never even really considered their role in the covenant as non-Jews. So let's keep reading. Um, lastly, in looking at the uh, verse in question here, Galatians three twenty-one. Since the church's interpretation, in my opinion, is so similar to Stern, both of which are surprisingly closer to the Jewish context of Galatians than interpreting uh, law in this verse as mere good works, I think we should rightly recognize the accuracy of the theology behind interpreting this verse as a teaching against Jews or Gentiles trying to leverage salvation, that is forensic righteousness, through keeping the commandments specifically, without saying anything about motive, be they sincere or legalistic, right? In other words, uh, let's translate the verse, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through keeping the commandments of the law, then Christ died for no purpose, end quote. 
So if we were to translate it that way, right, then um, we would have Paul basically uh, teaching both Jews and Gentiles that no man can keep the Torah in order to be saved. And again, that type of theology is accurate. You simply cannot keep the law to be saved. But uh, uh, I'm going to talk about why I think that's not the strongest uh, way to interpret the verse. But first, let's consider Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. Let's just suppose that this is what Paul means when he says, um, uh, if righteousness were through, were through the law. And we're still trying to um, uh, really kind of uh, understand this phrase, the law. Let's suppose it does mean keeping the commandments. Consider Titus 3, 4-7, quote, this is the ESV, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, end quote. Now, this is interesting. This is a passage uh, in the New Testament that uses the word works and the word righteousness in the same immediate context, right? And wouldn't most agree, as I read my commentary, that works done in righteousness, and we have to, we have to really uh, understand that works there is behavioral works or works done in behavioral righteousness, would have to at the very least include works done in accordance with the law, wouldn't most agree, right? He says, not because of works done by us in righteousness. And if the us in the passage is Jews and Gentiles who are seeking God, then uh, we, would, we would agree that works are at least meritorious works, whether they are rooted in the Torah or not. But we, they would also include uh, works done in accordance with the law, because the Jews of Paul's day were, in fact, instructed from the law. We already know this. The Jews of today feel that they are instructed from the law. So they would have to at least assume, the Jews of today would assume, that the works that they're doing are at least works done in accordance with the law. Maybe not so much Gentiles today, right? I mean, if you stop your average Joe on the street and ask him, do you think you're going to go to heaven based on your good works? Many people are going to say, yeah. Yeah, I think if I'm good enough, God will let me in. And if you then go on to, to ask them, well, do you think you, the, the good works that you do are actually um, uh, good works that you find in the Torah, right? In other words, the five books of Moses. I think that most people, your average, your average human, your average person, the average man is not going to think that the good works that they do are in accordance with the Torah. In fact, most people don't stop to open up the book of the Bible to try to keep the Torah in order to leverage their salvation. They're not really interested in keeping the Torah. They're just interested in doing good, right? You know, helping grandma across the street, uh, you know, uh, doing good things to their neighbor, doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do, things like that. They're not really rooting their good works in the Torah, right? They're not trying to keep Sabbath and kosher and all those types of things. They, they don't have any interest in such things. They think that such things are for Jews. Uh, and, and besides, they probably wouldn't even know where to find, uh, uh, you know, how to keep the Torah, things like that. that. That's all irrelevant to them. So for them, it's just a kind of a generic works righteousness. In other words, it's kind of just good works. And if that's the case, then we could understand the verse in that way, not because of general good, generic good works done by us in righteousness. So what are we to make of what Paul's saying when he says, I do not know the grace of God if righteousness 
right, the, the salvation kind of righteousness, is if it's through keeping the commandments of the law, then we would really have Paul speaking to people who are familiar with the law. This would, of course, uh, firstly include Jews. But by Paul's day, it probably began to include Gentiles as well. So let's keep reading my commentary. Every good religious Jew knows and affirms that God's standard of behavior righteousness is spelled out in the law of God. Right? It's, it's a no-brainer. And most Christians today affirm that the forensic righteousness found exclusively in Yeshua is also grounded in the truths of the Torah as well. So we don't have to, to um, create some type of, of, um, of understanding of, of Christian theology of the Torah where they supposedly invent uh, righteousness that's, that's, that's separate from the Torah. Most Christians know that the good works that Jews, that Jewish people do is in agreement with their understanding of the law. Um, and, they all, and every Christian also agrees that, the, that, that righteousness is rooted in the law because they can read Romans 1.17, and specifically Christians are familiar with Romans 3.21 and 22, which reads, quote, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Bear witness to the righteousness, right? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction, etc., etc. So everybody knows in the church that salvation-based righteousness is rooted in the teachings of the Torah. And yet, salvation-based righteousness is not dependent upon keeping the Torah. And that's basically uh, the strong distinction that Christians would make. You can read about the salvation-based righteousness in the Torah, and Jesus, the, 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 the salvation that Jesus uh, provides for us is in fact rooted in the Torah of Moshe. But it's not in, in the doing of the commandments that bring salvation. It's rather in understanding that the commandments point to uh, placing your uh, faith and trust in Messiah. Thus, I say it this way in my commentary, using the popular Christian hermeneutic, we could easily interpret Titus 3, 4 through 7, the, the, the verses above, we could, we, we could interpret it this way, as Paul stating, quote, not because of works done by us in accordance with the righteous standard that the Torah spells out for us to live by, right? In other words, Paul's basically saying the same thing in Titus that he was probably saying in... Um, in uh, Galatians 2.21. If that's the case, that's basically the popular Christian way to understand Titus 3, 4-7. through 7. And I go on to say once again that such an interpretation would then seem to be supported by Galatians 3.21 here. So, um, if that's the way we're to understand Galatians 3.21, that, that Paul's trying to explain to Jews and Gentiles in his day that you can't keep the Torah to become saved... If that's the way we understand law there, keeping of the Torah, um, then basically we don't really have to uh, continue to try to seek this interpretation of law that includes a heavy emphasis on Jewish identity. We simply have Gentiles who are basically preoccupied with trying to keep the Torah. They're not really preoccupied with trying to become Jewish. And I, essentially, I think that's the way most Christian commentators would spin the verse and their general view of the book of Galatians. However, let's read at the top of page 102 and see how far we can get into my own commentary. Let me see how many pages left I have. Uh, two. I think I might actually be able to finish tonight.
if I just read mostly and, and not comment. Let's see what I have to say. Top of page 102. This is my own commentary. In my opinion, as well-structured as the popular Christian hermeneutic is in regards to dismantling workspace salvation, I don't believe this is how Paul is using law here. The broad application just described would not capture the full force of the fact that first-century Israel believed that God extended forensic righteousness narrowly to the individual Jew, and indeed narrowly to the people of Israel as a whole, supposedly based on the distinction that Jews were, in point of fact, called out and chosen as the elect of God. Look at footnote number 88. Um, if you read uh, Amos 3.2, God says, quote, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. So Israel already considered that she alone was the elect of God. She alone had exclusive rights and privileges to not only God, but also to his laws. Let's keep reading. So Israel, as the elect of God, was subsequently covenant-bound to follow after Torah with all their heart, their soul, and their strength. Right? We already read the Shema of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. So it's the Jews of Paul's day who were already working from this idea that they alone were the sole they were the, they alone were in sole possession of God's words and God's ways and they basically were in sole possession of God's salvation and this was because they alone were the elect and this is based uh, kind of on a misunderstanding of the of the the Amos passage that we just read put simply i say in my commentary if the surviving rabbinic writings are any indication of the pattern of religion in first century Israel as uh, E.P. Sanders' valuable research has so adequately indicated, then we have to confer that Paul's Jewish audience was not seeking forensic righteousness through keeping the Torah. That is, they were not trusting in their good works to save them, despite how many verses seem to in indicate this with their wording. Let me just pause and look at footnote number 89. And you'll see quite a few verses that seem to use the word works there that indicate that seem to indicate that first century Israel was preoccupied with works outside of a, of any kind of tie to their ethnicity. In other words, um, it seems like they were just trying to leverage Torah obedience in and of itself for becoming a, a covenant member. And if you read all those verses, say Romans two two six, Romans three twenty seven, Romans four two through six, nine eleven, verse thirty two. Uh, and some of the other verses that I mentioned in my commentary down there in footnote number 89, it seems to be that that's how the first century Jews were um, uh, leveraging, or, or I shouldn't say leveraging, the way they were understanding Torah obedience. It seems to be that they were just trusting in works, and the works were rooted in Torah, and therefore th they had that goal, and the goal was to become a covenant member. And the only way to become a covenant member was to uh, keep the Torah in order to become a covenant member. But I don't think that's what they were doing. Let's keep reading. Um, I talk about the rabbinic writings indicating that the pattern of religion in the first century was that they weren't really trusting in their good works to save them. Instead, I'm sorry, I, I keep saying right here in this uh, paragraph, I believe that they were not attempting to gain entry into the covenant as adults by keeping Hashem's commandments. That's, that's essentially the way I see them uh, uh, read, understand the book of Galatians. Instead, I say that they, the Jews of Paul's day, these would be the adults again, right? Keep, please keep in mind, I'm, I'm describing adults who have an understanding uh, or who have the ability to read the commandments of God 
and to consider how to walk in them. I'm not talking about children who have were circumcised as babies, but yet have no real responsibility to the community as adults in when it, when, it, when it comes to um, keeping the commandments as adults. So we're really talking about adults. I think that the Jews of Paul's day were seeking the subsequent ongoing forensic and behavior righteousness. Remember this one coin called righteousness, yet with two sides. I think that they were seeking the, the, the forensic and behavior righteousness that was ostensibly and exclusively granted to Jewish covenant members who remained loyal to the Torah. In other words, this idea of covenantal nomism. I think it is those it, 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 it is those nationalistic presuppositions that the Jewish people of Paul's day held to in regards to viewing the Torah as a kind of a social prize, a thing to be coveted in and of itself, a treasured reward that supposedly proved to the surrounding nations that God deemed them exclusively as forensically righteous to, as a people group. This ideology, I think, is what Paul is seeking to dismantle in his letter to the Galatians. So when Paul says, um, when, when, he, when Paul talks about law here, let's keep on reading. Here's what I say. Thus, I think we can interpret this verse uh, within its historical and socio-religious context as Paul bringing his carefully worded technical Jewish and Gentile arguments of the previous verses, right? Galatians 2, 15 through 20, and indeed the chapters we have it to a close. I think he's bringing this entire uh, um, dialogue to a, a kind of a conclusion. And so he opts for the single word law instead of his usual phrase works of law like he used three times above in Galatians 2.16. And I think in doing that, when he uses the word law instead of works of law here in 2.21, when speaking of justification above, right, we, talk, we talked about how justification has the idea of both salvation justification as well as the kind of a final vindication that God grants to people in the end of days, this justification that's that's really both behavioral and forensic, right? It's both. But um, when speaking of justification above, Paul can actually address national Israel's ethnic blindness as a whole, while at the same time, again, reinforce the genuine truth to those individual Gentile Christians who were considering the Jewish, quote, good news, end quote, of membership into the communities of Israel via the process of proselyte conversion, that the righteousness of God, uh, that the righteousness of God, indeed such righteousness is the subsequent result of God's declarative justification of Galatians 2.16, that this righteousness is attained for an individual at Christ's expense and not the rubric of a man-made conversion ceremony, read here through the law or by self-effort. Let me pause, because that was an extremely long sentence, and I am quite certain that many of you got lost. In fact, I almost got lost in my own sentence, and I'm the one who wrote it. So, let me just highlight the sentence and uh, see if I can explain it. Give me a moment to find out where it starts and where it stops. All right. This sentence right here, which is quite long. I think what Paul's trying to say in, in, in Galatians 2.21 is that, um, and by the way, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you that I think there's at least two very strong ways to understand 2.21. But firstly, I think that Paul's, Paul has to do double duty because he's got Jews who think that their ethnicity, on the one hand, 
gets them into the covenant, and then their Torah obedience, on the other hand, right, the two sides of the coin, their Torah obedience, on the other hand, helps them to remain as uh, covenant members. And this this getting into the covenant is done by be, being a Jew, by being born a Jew, and this staying in the covenant is accomplished by keeping the law. So, because the Jewish people of Paul's day were brought into the covenant, at least they thought they were, because they were brought into the covenant when they were born as Jews, the rest of their life, they didn't have to focus on trying to get in. The rest of their life, they really focused on staying in. And so thus, when we read through the rabbinic literature, there's this heavy heavy emphasis on keeping the Torah. And there's a heavy preoccupation with the maintenance of the Torah, or how do we keep the Torah, the various halachot, the tachanot, and the, uh, the, the, the mishpatim, and the rulings, and the... And the uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, the eighteen measures and the, the traditions of the elders, right? The all of this preoccupation with how to walk out the Torah that we find so heavy in the mission on the Talmud, the Gemara, etc., etc. All of that I think is couched within the 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 self understanding that I'm already a covenant member, and that all I have to do is really keep my pos- my my position in the covenant by doing X, Y, Z, by keeping the traditions, by keeping the oral Torah, by keeping the written Torah, etc., etc. So, I, I think Paul has to do double duty with this phrase, law. We already know from studying um, through uh, Israel's ancient writings that the word law itself has a variety of meanings. We simply cannot collapse the word, we cannot collapse the uh, all of, how do we say, we cannot think that the word law only and exclusively means the written Torah. When we read to the book of Paul, uh, the books of Paul, the letters that Paul wrote, it, it's it's foolish, in my opinion, to to assume that when Paul uses the word namas, that he's only meaning the written law. It, that's quite to the contrary. In in the first century, the word law had a variety of meanings. It could mean the written law. It could mean the oral law. It could mean the eighteen measures. It could mean the sayings of the fathers. It could mean the rulings of the sages of your local community. It could mean uh, any variety, it can mean a combination of all of those things, you see what I'm saying? So the word law was very dynamic, it was very elastic, it had a lot of meanings tied to it. And so it's, 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 um, it's not a good idea to think that the word law there just has one meaning. And so when we see law here, at least in, in Galatians 2.21, we probably have to think that uh, Paul could mean a variety of things. At least I think that's the best way to understand the verse. So that's what I'm really trying to say in this in this passage. For Jews, there's kind of one understanding of the word law, but for Gentiles, there might be a slightly different nuance to the same word. And Paul's going to have to to explain that the, both of those meanings and applications to both people groups. Remember, the Jews were born and raised with law in their communities, the written law. Therefore, they could understand kind of the many various nuances of of the word law to include written law, oral law, tradition law, halakha law, etc., uh, etc. Et but the, Je- the Gentile of Paul's day, the one who wasn't really familiar with all of those nuances, probably had a very limited understanding of law. Perhaps for them, maybe it was more akin to what Christians call law, and that was makes basically the first five books of Moses or something like that. So I think that's what really what's kind of what's kind of going on here. And so with that in mind. I think law means this whole package of covenantal nomism where it's the one side of law was the ethnicity that Jews had and the other side of law was keeping the law. And Paul has to kind of capture both of those meanings when he uses the word law, at least here in 221. But for the Gentile, um, perhaps maybe for them it was 
closer to just either keeping the law or maybe it meant uh, uh, just generic law in, 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 in general. Let's, let's keep going. I think this will work its way out. Alternately, I say in my commentary, starting right here, if the emphasis is instead on group righteousness instead of an individual righteousness, right? we could have Paul using law here to say that the Jewish social badge of Torah as a supposed trophy for Jewish Israel does not signal righteous approval from God on the salvific group level or on any level for that matter. Right? In other words, when we talk about ancient Israel, first century Israel, we have to remember that just like Jews today, salvation, salvation wasn't really primarily an individual concept. I have to kind of pause and let that part sink in for today's Christians. Because for most Christians today, when they hear the word salvation, individual salvation is the primary focus in their mind. They think, what can I do to become saved? What must I do to become saved? What does the Bible teach that I need to do in order to become saved? And the focus is really on I. And yet, in the Jewish worldview of the first century, the focus wasn't so much on I, the focus was really on we. And the we was ethnic Israel, the we was um, the Israel that was elected, the, the, like we read in the uh, uh, book of Amos there. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. In the Jewish self-understanding of the first century, uh, all Israel was saved, and they were saved because God elected all Israel. God brought all of Israel to the, foot of, to the foot of Sinai in the book of Exodus and gave all of Israel the words of Torah. So therefore, it's possession of the Torah as a people group that, um, that extended righteousness, uh, nay, that extended salvation to the, to the nation as a whole. So you see what I'm saying here? It, it's not so much a focus on individual salvation as it is a focus on corporate salvation. And if you were to talk to Jews today... The same prevailing theology exists, for the most part, in today's Judaism. Look it up on the internet, if you can trust Rab, uh, uh, Rabbi Google, right? Um, go check it out for yourself. Go have a well-meaning discussion with a, an Orthodox rabbi, or someone who's knowledgeable about the Torah. And they'll tell you, we don't really focus on individual salvation. Salvation is extended to us as a, as a national people group. Right? We're saved because we're Jews. We're saved because we belong to Israel. We're saved because God gave the Torah to us as a group. We don't need individual salvation like the Christians teach. We've got a national salvation because God made promises to uh, the forefathers. God made covenant promises to us as a people group. And so it's kind of the same idea today. So I think that's possible. How, uh, possibly the way that Paul's using it again here is we've got this idea where if righteousness, that is to say if group righteousness, if national righteousness comes through possession of the law, this idea that God gave the Torah to the Jewish people to vindicate his ethnic, his, um, his uh, 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 election of them as a people group, right? First you have God electing Israel, which he did way back in Genesis 12, where he promised that through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed, I'm sorry, that he would bless those that bless you, uh, the, the, the promises made to Abraham, the promises that extended to Abraham's offspring. This idea that God was uh, had already elected to choose Israel before Israel even had a choice in the matter. God seems to choose Israel out of all the nations of the earth. God elects Israel of his own choosing. God didn't, didn't, didn't counsel with anyone about this choosing. God didn't ask Israel if, he, if they wanted to be chosen. He simply did it because he extended love towards them. And so in this self-understanding, the Jewish people of the first century essentially said, well, look, 
God chose us, and us is a group. God chose us, and God brought us out of Egypt, and God brought us to the foot of Sinai. And then what did God do next? God gave us the Torah. And so the giving of the Torah is seen as a kind of a vindication of their election. See what I'm saying? That the giving of the Torah is seen as a as a trophy, as a proof, as an indicator that God was was basically showcasing to the rest of the world, look, everyone, hey, all you nations of the earth, listen up. There's only one people group that I've known of all the families of the earth. They are Israel. They alone have I chosen. They alone have the words of life. They alone have Torah. And so it's in that sense that Israel could Israel viewed the Torah as this prize, as this badge, this social badge, as this trophy to signal the fact that they alone are corporately righteous. In other words, there's a sense that owning and possessing the Torah, they didn't really even have to do anything. The trophy spoke for itself. We alone have the words of God. We alone have Torah. And in fact, that's kind of how it spins in today's Judaism. If you ask your average rabbi, who was the Torah given to? They'll say Israel. And if you ask your average, that same rabbi, who has responsibility to that Torah, they'll tell you, well, we do. We Jews alone have a responsibility to the Torah. We alone were given the Torah, we Israelites, and we alone have responsibility to keep it. In other words, the Jewish people of today kind of exclude the Christians from not only receiving the Torah, but also from having any responsibility to keep it. See what I'm saying? So, the Jewish self-understanding of today is similar to the Jewish self-understanding of the first century. This kind of exclusive view. For indeed, uh, from my perspective, to restrict the Torah to ethnic Israel is to deny the universal gospel message contained therein. And that's why Paul's going to have a problem with this self-understanding of Torah. To, to say that it, that the Torah is the sole possession of the Jews is to misunderstand that the fact that the gospel message, which in fact is universal, is actually contained within the Torah itself. So if, if the Torah is, the, is, is of the Jews only, if the Torah is for the Jews and of the Jews and belongs to the Jews, then perhaps maybe salvation itself is also of the Jews only, a truth that we know cannot be. So let's keep reading my commentary. Um, I think, let's see, yeah, this is the last page. All right, I think we can finish uh, Galatians 2.21, and we'll be poised to move to the next chapter next week. I say on the top of page 103, this understanding about uh, about ethnic Israel being in sole possession of the Torah, and in this sense, it's, it's, it's possession of the Torah, not necessarily having to try and do the Torah, but just recognizing that we alone, that we are the exclusive people group who have the Torah and that God gave it to us and therefore vindicated our righteousness before we could even do anything contained within the Torah. If this understanding is correct, then this would render the verse along these paraphrase lines. Okay, listen up. This is going to be a long, lengthy paraphrase that I made up based on what I just described. Here we go. Quote, I do not nullify the grace of God For if individual and group level forensic and behavioral righteousness were through merely possessing the law as an exclusively God-treasured people group, possession that naturally leads to our obedience of it, then Christ died for no purpose because such an ethnically restrictive view of the law excludes those from the nations for whom God beforehand intended to include as forensically and behaviorally righteous in his promises to Abraham. End quote. Did you catch the gist of what I'm trying to say there? I think that Paul knew that the Jewish people of his day 
held to a covenantal nomism that taught that they and they alone as ethnic Jews were not only in possession of the Torah, in other words, they had this kind of a passive possession of the Torah that granted them righteousness, but also that they alone were responsible for maintenancing the obedience of the Torah. They alone as Jews, in other words, the Jewish people of Paul's day believed that the Torah was for Jews only, was given to Jews only, and therefore it was the sole responsibility of Jews to walk in it. Therefore, um, I do understand that Paul would have to... Uh, go out of his way to combat such a mistaken view of the Torah. The Torah was not merely given to Jews as this kind of trophy, as this sort of social badge to demonstrate to the rest of the world that, that Israel and Israel alone was uh, elevated above all the other nations of the earth to receive God's righteous favor. And Paul would then have to explain to them that, no, your, your misunderstanding of Torah is way off the mark, ethnic Israel. First of all, God doesn't extend salvific righteousness to you just because you're Jews. Secondly, he didn't give you the Torah to prove to the, to the surrounding nations, to the Gentiles, that you alone are the exclusive, uh, um, the exclusive uh, pose uh, possession of God, the, the, the sole, uh, um, what, do we, what do we say in Amos, the, um, the, the exclusive family of the earth that, that God is going to know. We already know that God is going to extend his his covenant knowledge, his covenant choosing, his his election. He's going to to extend this covenant election to the Gentiles as he grafts them into Israel. So, in conclusion, as I say in my commentary, in conclusion to our exegesis of this verse, according to Paul's messianic understanding of national Israel's covenant status with God, the fact that at the time of the writing of the book of Galatians, Israel was, in their own self-understanding, an ex in exclusive possession of the laws of God did not mean that she was the only chosen people group that God had promised to bless. Indeed, the Abrahamic covenantal promises of Genesis 12.3 envisioned, quote, all the families of the earth, end quote, instead of the limited scope of a supposedly, quote, Jewish-only Israel, end quote, like the influencers were purporting. Context would suggest then that the law in question in chapter 2, verse 21, is the specific written Torah. Yes, it is. It is the written Torah, so it's probably not um, not uh, like, say, a legalistic misunderstanding per se, but context, I think, would suggest that the law in question is the specific written Torah, yet, as it was unfortunately limited, nay, destroyed by its oral tradition counterpart which was the Jewish policies known as halakha. These were laws that conveyed the notion that Israel exclusively, read here as Jewish Israel, can inherit blessings in the world to come, a belief formally held to by the apostle themselves. The apostle himself. See what I mean? To be sure, as an individual, if being declared righteousness, right? Now let's move from the, from the corporate uh, understanding of righteousness and move to kind of an individual for a moment. If, as an individual, if being declared righteous, understood to be primarily forensic, but including behavioral as well, if being declared righteous could be achieved via the flesh, that is, being born Jewish or converting to Judaism, and then maintaining obedience to the Torah, viz. the works of the law, if this were possible through the flesh, then truly what need would there be for a Messiah to come and provide it later for anyone, Jew or Gentile alike, right? 
If you could achieve it by the flesh, then you don't need Messiah. If you could achieve it by self-effort, then Messiah's atonement is worthless. So, Paul would, my final sentence is this, Paul would have the reader, both Jewish and Gentile, to understand that such genuine righteousness, right, the total verdict, as rendered from God himself, the total verdict of both behavioral as well as forensic, that such genuine righteousness is altogether outside of Jewish and Gentile achievement and therefore must be procured by surrendering to the power of the Anointed One of God, namely Yeshua the Messiah. And I think, in my opinion, I'm, I'm really trying to cover all the bases in this last paragraph, where we, when Paul says, for I, if, if righteousness is through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Does he mean works of the law? Does he mean keeping the law? Does he mean oral law? Does he mean the halacha of the law? Does he mean a, a traditional uh, understanding of the law? Does he mean a legalistic perversion of the law, like David Stern does says? Does he mean not a legalistic perversion, but a genuine uh, attempt at keeping the law? Not just kind of a stone-cold legalism, but a well-meaning, sincere approach to keeping the law with the, with the hopes that your well-meaning, sincere approach of keeping the law will actually earn you salvation, which, which means in the end it amounts to, to legalism. So, you know, which view of law is in, in, in view? We're going to turn to Romans, I'm sorry, we're going to turn to um, uh, Galatians chapter 3. And I think what we're going to find in Galatians chapter 3 is there's two very strong ways that Paul might be using law and works in Galatians 3. One is the way that I say, where works is 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 often instead uh, maybe a, a, a very carefully uh, worded um argument against works of the law, that is, this, this covenantal nomistic view, uh, this kind of this restrictive ethnic view of, of um, being brought into the, co- getting into the covenant by being a Jew, either being born a Jew or a conversion, and then staying in the covenant by keeping the law, right, maintaining the works of the law, the works of the Torah, things like that, obedience to the law. This coin with two sides, either that's the view of works in the book of Galatians chapter 3, or there's another very strong possibility, and indeed, I actually agree with this view uh, as it fits in, as it agrees with my own view, and that's a view that's um, uh, brought up by many other well-meaning commentators to to include one uh, who belongs to one of my Galatians commentary, one of my Galatians uh, studies, and that's the view that works is are just kind of works in general, good works in general, and so Paul's going to have to explain to Gentiles that good works in general will not save you. Uh, and he uses Abraham as kind of this test case where he talks about Abraham's good works not saving him. Therefore, there's no way that uh, anyone could do good works to save them. In other words, he doesn't really have to focus on works done in accordance with Torah. He can just simply uh, speak against generic merit theology. So we're going to talk about that uh, in the next chapter. But we're done for tonight. And so uh, we're poised to begin our study next week. I want to actually let the students in the class know that uh, next week we will not be meeting. Uh, There is a a very big Korean uh, holiday next week that's going to have me really busy. So I won't be able to meet with uh, the students. So instead, for week 53, we'll meet uh, not on the 20th... What is today? The the 21st. Uh, Instead... Um, let's meet together, not on the 28th, but we'll be, meet, meet uh, beginning on the first uh, Shabbat of February, okay? 
All right, let's close in prayer. I'll, oh, by the way, I'll send out a, a, an email uh, note to let everyone know about what's going on, so you don't have to worry. Let's close in prayer, and then uh, for those of you who are in the live class, stay with me, and we can have a discussion on what we talked about, or we can have a discussion on anything you want to talk about over the next half an hour or so, okay? Let's close. Father, I bless your name, and I thank you for the opportunity to study. I thank you for your presence and for your blessing. I know, Lord, that you have sent your Holy Spirit to remind us of the words of the Master, to fill us with your goodness and your mercy, to to draw us close to you, to, to strengthen our fellowship one with another. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in our midst. We thank you for opening up the words of Torah to us, for showing us truth, for indeed, um, without your illumination, the words are just letters on a page. They're just uh, ink on parchment, and really they don't have the ability to change the heart. So we seek to study the words, but we seek the power of the Ruach Kodesh because it is only by his power that our lives can be changed, that we can be pleasing to God, and that we can um, be salts, salt and light to a dying world around us. Uh, give us, Lord, um, the... Uh, uh, give us the hunger and thirst for righteousness that you described. Give us uh, a passion for lost souls. Give us the um, uh, uh, um, hunger uh, and desire to continue to press in so that we can know you know you more, know you better. Uh, be with us this week as we uh, go our separate ways. Uh, continue to raise us up and we'll be careful to give you praise and the glory. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com.